Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind. They call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Just a couple of announcements this week before we get into our fiction. First off, we've mentioned author I.G. Jung's work a few times on the show recently, both through Women in Horror Month and the story she had featured a couple of weeks back. Well, thanks to our good friends at Dark Matter, Inc., we've secured a handful of signed copies of I's debut novel, Ling Huen, to give away. We're still ironing out the details, but I thought I'd give you the heads up so you can keep an eye on our social media for the giveaway in the next couple of weeks. I still haven't had a chance to read Ling Huen myself, but I've heard nothing but great things. So, I'm sure you'll want to stay tuned for that. Also, starting May 1st, 
Tales to Terrify will once again be open for submissions. We're kicking off the submissions period with a month dedicated to tales from one of my favorite horror subgenres, space horror. Tales born in the frozen depths of deep space, of the vast coldness and isolation, of the darkness that lurks between stars and the unfathomable creatures that dwell within. I'm excited for this one, so I can't wait to see what cosmic terrors we can pull into our orbit. I'll keep you posted here and on social media when the portal opens. In the meantime, you can brush up on our guidelines at talestoterrify.com slash submissions. Now, let's see what abominations we've caught in our net for this week. We have one tale for you this evening which comes to us from Tyler Jones. Tyler Jones is the author of Criterium, The Dark Side of the Room, Almost Ruth, and the story collection Burn the Plans. His new novella, Full Fathom Five, was released in December, and his novel, Midas, will be published by Earthling Publications in October 2023. His work has appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies, including Cemetery Dance, Lit Reactor, and the No Sleep Podcast. He lives in Portland, Oregon. Children of the Night, join me for Tyler Jones's Who Built the Moon? A Tales to Terrify original. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com.
They should have been back by now. The snow is coming down harder, and when I hobble outside on my crutches to take a look, the sky is the color of dried blood. Except for some smoke-colored clouds and the full moon, yellow like Dad's skin before he passed. I ain't gonna lie. Worry's starting to creep in a little. Maybe if we were back in Oregon, it wouldn't be. But we're up in Canada, where none of us have ever been, which is the whole reason we came here. I wasn't even going to come on account of my knee. Tore it up on the job. Concrete work is a bitch. But at least I got workers' comp. So there's that. But John and Darren begged me, said tradition can't be broken, even if I don't actually go on the hunt. This trip's a big one for John. His first since he started dating Laura, and she got him to go to AA. Been a few months since he took a drink. But he says he still misses the booze. Just not the blackouts and hangovers. Said he wanted to come out into the woods and kill something to celebrate the fact he killed his addiction. Even though I don't understand it. I'm just glad he's sober. Darren wasn't too happy about Lara coming along, and he let me know once we got to the cabin. Said it's always been us guys, and things would be different with a woman here. I told him John wouldn't be sober without her. And what does it matter? You just pissed you can't fart and scratch your ass whenever you want? I told Darren this while he's pouring a vodka soda. I said, Come on, man. If you got a drink, just wait until later when they're sleeping. Darren took a long sip, said, I ain't changing just because they got problems. Keeping one crutch tight in my armpit, I grabbed the glass from him and dumped it in the sink. Darren's face got all red. But I didn't give a shit. Just wait, I said. Darren put the vodka bottles in the cabinet, looked at me with his jaw all tight. Yeah, Trev, he said. This'll be fun. Maybe we'll do some knitting later and read a Bible story. I go back out on the porch and watch. Listen. The space between all them trees is black, and that full moon must be hidden behind clouds because it's so much darker now and the snow looks like silver-colored stone covered in glitter. They should be back by now. There ain't no cell reception or TV out here. So I go back inside and over to the bookcase filled with old westerns, the kind I used to read as a kid. Covers bent, pages all yellow and stiff. I grab one called The Vanishing Sky, get a nice pack from the freezer, and sit in the ratty old chair by the window. The curtains are a sun-faded blue that remind me of the curtains in the room John and I used to share when we was kids. I used to wake some nights to John crawling through that window, arms and legs all scratched up from thorn bushes. Said he'd been sleepwalking. He'd come too out in the yard or in the empty field across the road, shivering in his PJs and confused all to hell. By the time I get to the chapter where Ezra Stone, this badass bounty hunter, is searching for a young boy kidnapped by a gang of bandits, my knee's gone numb, and I can barely keep my eyes open. Besides wood cracking in the fireplace, it's quiet. The snow makes a soft sound, though, piling up on the roof, slipping off the trees. My eyes are getting blurry when a woman's voice jolts me awake. She's yelling outside, and the voice is in so much pain it's damn near close to crying. Then I hear another voice shouting, Just keep going! Don't look back! Darren. The voice has that growl in it. I crutch over to the door, open it to see two shadows coming through the woods, 
The snow looks like ash falling out of a low sky. It's full dark now. I cup a hand around my mouth, shout, Everything all right? No one answers, but that one voice keeps on moaning. One shadow walk runs in front, and the other kind of stumbles along behind. The shadow wearing the hat with ear flaps? Well, that's Darren, and he's got his rifle in both hands, high-stepping through the snow. The shadow in the bright orange jacket is Laura. She walks like she can barely lift her legs, and it's her who's crying and moaning. Darren keeps looking back, and he grabs Laura by the jacket and drags her along. Laura, the closer she gets, the more it's obvious something ain't right. One arm just hangs there all limp, and her orange jacket is missing a sleeve. Her voice is all broken and pleading. She says, Trevor! Trevor! They're so close now that the light from the cabin shows me Laura, and it looks like her jacket sleeve got ripped off, and there's just the red shirt underneath, wet and red. Thick snot has dripped out of each nostril and frozen on her upper lip. Darren shouts at me, Trev, help me get her inside. I look past them, but there's no sign of my brother. Where's John? I say. Laura lets out a scream so high-pitched and full of pain that it makes all the air go out of me, and Darren pulls her so hard Laura trips and almost goes down. That one arm, though, it doesn't even move to balance her. They hit the porch and I drop my crutches, grab Laura as Darren turns around and kneels, points his rifle into the woods. Darren breathes fast and ragged. Laura kind of falls into me and makes my knee angry. My hand on her back. There's fever heat coming through the fabric. I get Laura to the couch and she just slides off my arm, slumps onto the cushion. Her eyes looking up at the ceiling. They're huge and bloodshot and her teeth are clenched together like a smiling dog and her feet scratch at the floor as she tries not to scream again. Sweat drips off her nose, her chin. Darren backs into the cabin, still crouched, still aiming into the woods. He grabs the truck keys from off the hook. Darren, I say, where is he? He ignores me and moves back to the open door and then out into the dark, gun barrel moving side to side. My hand closes into a fist, and it's sticky, like when we used to put glue on our palms in elementary school. But this stuff is all red. I flip on the lamp by the couch, and something in my chest drops down into my guts. I swallow wrong and cough, try to breathe, but just choke. I take a step back, and Laura sees this, starts moving even more frantically, trying to get up to say something. That arm... It isn't wearing a red shirt. There is no shirt, just like there's no skin. The flesh, all the way from the shoulder to the wrist, is split open in a bunch of long cuts, all of them straight and deep. Raw, purple-looking meat is pushed up out of these cuts, bubbling through them and throbbing with what must be Laura's heartbeat. I step back and choke again, taste stomach acid and gag. The sound of an engine trying to turn over comes from outside. Lara's whole left side is just soaked, like she tripped and fell onto a floor someone was painting dark red. She moves her chin down, tries to angle her eyes to see the arm, but I put a hand to her forehead, gently push it back. Don't look, I say. Her chin quivers like a punished kid. She says, How bad? Just keep looking up, I say but then I catch a whiff of the inside of her. 
a raw meat smell like bloody steaks, and I can't hold it back anymore. I run to the kitchen and barf into the sink. After I rinse out my mouth, I start going through the drawers. There's a first aid kit in the bathroom, but that ain't got nothing for something like this. The truck engine goes one more time, but it doesn't sound any better. In the drawer by the oven, I find some plastic wrap. When I get back to Laura, her face is fish-belly white and there's a pain in my chest, like I want to cry. It's that feeling that says, things ain't as bad as they're gonna be, and I'm worried like hell about John. Laura, I say, listen, I'm gonna wrap your arm so nothing gets on it. Laura moans. Her head rolls a little and one eye, all drained of color, comes to rest on me. Her voice makes some noise. Sean, she says. Hang tight, I tell her. This close to the arm, it's not like any cuts I've seen. It's like one of them bad movies where a guy in a mask is after some kids, just hacked all to pieces. But the cuts aren't wild. And that's the part what makes the acid burn in my throat again. The cuts are so precise, so perfect. It looks like Lara just had some fucked up surgery. What the hell happened? I ask her. Lara moans again and moves her head from side to side. Her arm is mostly inside out, but it's not really bleeding, and that gives me a flutter in the belly. Blood all over her, but the arm is pretty much dry. Darren stomps up to the porch as I'm tearing off long strips of the plastic wrap and putting it around Lara's arm. She hisses at the pain, but doesn't really move much anymore. Darren slams the door shut, bolts it, then stands with his back to the wall. He moves the curtain with his rifle and sneaks glances outside. I give Laura a pat on the knee, then go over and pick up my crutches. Darren jerks his head my way, and his eyes are big and scared, like the time we rode a shopping cart down each shit hill. His chest heaves like a rabbit's, all fast and shallow, and I smell the sweat on him. Fear's a funny thing. Sometimes it's a howling in your chest, and other times it's just a hissy whisper in your heart telling you things ain't quite right. I hear that whispering now, looking at Darren. I say, where is my brother? Darren looks out the window again, kind of crouched like he's still a cop. He looks away from the window, puts a hand on my shoulder, and looks into my eyes. He says, something is out there, Trev. I don't know what it is. But it got John. I tried to help him, but it happened too fast. I breathe through my nose to see if there's any vodka in that sweat of his. Darren's eyes move back and forth like something's going to come busting through the door any second. Got him, I say. And I try to keep my voice down, because Lara is hurt, and maybe loud sounds make it worse. What the fuck do you mean, got him? Was it a bear, a, a cougar? Darren shakes his head and opens his mouth, but he doesn't say anything. I lift one crutch and shove the padded shoulder part into Darren's neck, push him against the wall, and get in his face. John was attacked and you left him out there, you piece of shit! I push the crutch even harder until Darren chokes. I stare into his eyes and wish my eyes could suck out some part of him through the sockets, something bloodier than blood. Darren's a whole head taller than me and still as wide as a linebacker. The cords in his neck pop out and he breathes like a bull, air shooting out his nostrils. But I stare into his eyes like I'll jam the crutch up through his skull if he moves.
When I let off the pressure, Darren starts coughing, and I grab the rifle out of his hand. I let the crutches fall to the floor. Fuck my knee, it's already busted anyway. And grab my coat and hat from the pegs by the door. Darren's voice is hoarse now. It's not like that, Trev. Trev, you hear me? You have no idea what happened out there. I don't even want to look at him. My hand is twisting the knob when Darren slams his arm against the door. It wasn't an animal, he says. What then, I say. Darren leaves his arm on the door, wipes sweat from his eyes with the other arm. He moves from foot to foot like dancing, like nervous energy. I can't explain it, he says. I say, Darren, I swear to God, if he's dead because you left him out there all torn up, I'm coming straight back here and blowing your fucking brains all over this room. Darren swallows so hard I hear it. His eyes get wet, and he won't look at me. I know what I saw, Trev, he says. I shoulder the rifle and zip up my coat. I say, I'm walking out this door in thirty seconds whether you tell me what happened or not. The wind howls outside and rattles the window. There's the creak of snow piling up on the roof. A draft sneaks in from around the door. Darren moves his arm away and rubs his eyes with the heels of both hands. Then he reaches into his coat pocket and takes out a cell phone, hands it to me. The screen is streaked with dried blood, and there's a crack that looks like a pitchfork in the lower right corner, a crack from when it was dropped in my kitchen a few months back. Why do you have John's phone? I ask. Darren nods at Laura. Her eyes are still closed, but she's breathing. She had it, he said. Was filming John. I back up, put a couple steps between me and Darren, and press the button on the phone. The camera app is open to the last video recorded. I push the play button. The forest at dusk. Full moon hanging in the sky, all grainy and out of focus. John is up ahead, kneeling in the snow, gun trained on an elk, a big one grazing in the distance. Laura's hand shakes a little, and mist drifts into view from her breathing. The sky gets darker, and the elk stops, lifts its head, and looks up just as the moon falls slowly out of place. It slides down and turns sideways, hovers right over John, and then there's a blast of bright light that turns John into a black shape, and he's screaming something, holding his arm up to the light, and Laura is screaming too as John lifts up the ground, like he jumped without jumping, and the view changes as the phone falls out of her hand, and now all I see is the black sky, the tops of the snow-covered trees, and Laura is shouting, Don't shoot it! Don't shoot it! And the light is loud, but there's a crack like a rifle, and Laura is crying now, and there's another light, glowing at the edge of the screen, and this light is orange. Laura screams like I heard when they were coming back from the woods. It's full of pain, and she's screaming John's name, and there's a boom, and the light is gone, and everything is quiet except Laura crying and saying, It burns! Over and over. Footsteps crunch through the snow, and the phone lifts up, and for one quick second I see the place where John had been standing— but instead of snow, there's a perfect circle filled with flowers. Flowers with bright red thorns and petals that shimmer like an oil slick on asphalt. The video ends. Darren's eyes are more than watering now. He turns his face to the ceiling, blinks a few times. There's a little flutter in my chest, like a bird with a broken wing, because I don't know what I just saw. But I heard a gun go off, I'm sure of it, and John isn't here.
I say. Darren, hey, look at me. I'm going out there to find my brother. You stay and take care of Lara, okay? His head lowers slowly until his eyes meet mine, and they've gone dry. You can't go out there, he says. It's too dangerous. I lean in a little closer. I don't give a fuck what you say. I'm bringing John back. In the time it takes my heart to thud and stutter twice, Darren's hand reaches behind his back and comes up holding a Glock, barrel pointed at my chest. Get away from the door, he says. The backs of my legs go numb, but there's a sharp, bone-scraping pain in my knee. Darren's got the gun in both hands now, holding it like they trained him to at the academy. Before he was a cop, then a disgraced cop for pulling his weapon on an unarmed man, then a former cop for beating his wife. I said back the fuck away from the door, Darren yells. I take a step, and my knee almost buckles. He yells, give me the rifle. I snap it off my shoulder and hand it over. My trigger finger itches a little, and an image of Darren laid out on the floor with a bloody hole where his eye used to be develops in my head like a fast Polaroid. No one goes outside, Darren says, as he puts the rifle strap on his shoulder, his eyes wide and crazy. They can't know we're here. I hate that look in his eyes. We used to call it blood blind, as in Darren can't see anything until he sees blood. It's all he wants. His fingers open and close around the grip. In and out through his nose, his breathing louder than the wind outside. The back of my neck itches with sweat crawl. I watch Darren, and the way he looks makes me remember a psychology book I half-read back before I quit college. De-escalate. A word I don't think I've ever used in a sentence before. But there it is, glowing in my head like a beer sign in a bar window. If he's all worked up, I have to go in the other direction. He's got a gun aimed at my heart, after all. I hold my hands up. Darren, I say, put yourself... In my boots, man. His breathing doesn't change, but his eyes get a little less wide, and they meet mine. Lauren moans from the couch. Her teeth make a grinding sound that makes my own teeth hurt. I say, Hang in there, Lara. My heart thumps in my knee, so I slowly reach for one crutch, keep an eye contact with Darren the whole time. I say, None of this seems real. It's as real as anything, Darren says, shaking his head. I'm not lying. I lean on the crutch, and it's so good to take the weight off my busted joint. I didn't say you were, I tell him. But my boots, remember? How does it sound to you? I'm not going to cry. But suddenly I am. If it's true, if any of what he said is true, especially about John... Then a hole just got blasted through my heart and my chest is filling with blood. I want to breathe, but the air won't go where it's meant to. And what do I tell Mom? Darren sees the tears and looks away. But he looks at the gun and his eyes go big real quick, like, What am I doing? And he lowers the gun. I'm just trying to protect you, Darren says. You didn't see what I saw. John is gone, and I'm sorry as hell about that. But going after him just gets you dead. And guess what? Nothing changes for John. I jerk my head toward the couch. What about her? We just let her bleed out? 
I say it. But the truth is, Lara isn't really bleeding. She did when whatever happened happened, but not now. Darren's shoulders slump. The hand with the gun turns it up, like, what do you want me to do? He says, if we were on a ship in the ocean in the middle of the storm, you don't just jump overboard. No, I say, but you try to get to safety. Fucking hell, Trev, he says. This is safety, man. The danger's out there. Look, if Laura goes, she goes. But I sure as hell ain't going outside and drawing attention to us, and I'm not letting you go out there either. Laura makes a noise, like she's swallowing back vomit. I turn to see her holding a hand over her mouth, eyes scrunched up tight. Darren's sweating again, and it's got the sour, sweet smell of someone who's got a lot of vodka in their blood. What makes you think we're safe inside? I ask him. Darren waves his gun hand at the room. We're still here, and we're alive, he says. The rifle he took from me would take a few seconds to pull off his shoulder and fire, and the Glock is pointed down, so I breathe in quick and swing the crutch with all I've got, like swinging a baseball bat one-armed. It whistles, and there's a metallic ring as the crunch connects with his wrist. The bone snaps. I hear it, and the gun drops, and his hand hangs at a sick angle. Darren screams and doubles over. I pull the crutch back and swing again, this time into the side of his head. The impact wobbles up my arm and stings. Darren hits the floor, screaming, and by the time he figures out what happened, I've picked up the Glock and have it aimed at his head. His face melts from agony to rage, like a candle dripping wax. And it scares me how fast it happens. You stay where you are, I say. Drop the weapon, Trev, Darren wheezes. That one makes me laugh a little. You don't control this situation, I said. You're not a fucking cop anymore, Darren. Darren's eyes move over to the rifle that slipped off his shoulder when he fell. Hey, look at me, I say. His eyes move back to my face, and his teeth are clenched together and bared, a Halloween werewolf mask. I push the gun a little closer to his face. What did you do to John? I told you, Darren says. What did you do to John? The pain face is back. He puts a hand to the side of his head that's leaking blood all down his ear. I take a step closer. I'm about to shove the barrel so hard into his forehead that it makes a mark when Laura starts coughing. More like a hack. Like there's something thick in her lungs she can't get up. She moans again, looking up at the ceiling, and her eyes roll so far back she looks like a demon-possessed woman in a movie. I keep the gun on Darren, but limp over to the couch and put a hand on Laura's shoulder. Her hair is dark with sweat and stuck to her cheeks, her forehead. I brush a strand away from her mouth. I say, hey, hang in there. We're going to figure this out. My voice seems to calm her because the muscles in her neck relax enough to let her look right at me. That bird in my chest flaps its one good wing. Her eyes, there's something different about them. They've always been blue, but this is like blue mixed together with purple and glitter. I move my head a little, and the color shifts, changes. Lara puts her hand on mine, and it's cold, like she just came in from outside. Her mouth opens and makes a sound. I put my ear to her lips, my one arm still stretched out, still pointing the gun at Darren. John said, Lara whispers. 
Her voice is weak and hoarse. She closes her eyes. He said, not now, I'm not. <coughs> she coughs again, and it's an explosion in my ear. He said, I'm not ready. The bird in my chest flaps like crazy, like it fell out of the nest. I look over at Darren, and he's staring at us. I can't tell if he's scared or pissed. He sits up, and I let him. But when he tries to get to his knees, I motion with the gun for him to get back down. Lara's cold hand squeezes mine. She whispers, I didn't move fast enough. The edge of the light got my arm. She coughs more, and it lasts a while, and it sounds so bad, like her lungs are coming apart. Her face folds up in pain, and she tries not to make a sound, but she can't help it. Something's happening, she says. I don't know if she passes out, but her body relaxes and her eyes close. I put two fingers to her neck and feel a slow pulse. I limp back to Darren and stand over him. The bird has been beating its wings so hard my ribs are sore. The air coming out of my nose is loud. I'm going to ask one more time, I say. What did you do to John? Darren shakes his head. No. No, no, I, I didn't do anything. You couldn't wait, I say. You had to drink. I stare into Darren's eyes, watch as they get a little wider with each second-hand tick from the clock on the wall, like they're connected. I wipe sweat and tears from my eyes with the hand not holding the gun. You always blamed everyone but yourself, I say. Your whole life is someone else's fault. You saw the video. You saw the video, Darren says, and it comes out squeaky and pathetic. The gun is heavy and my muscles quiver. Did you get an elk, Darren? He blinks once, confused. The grip of the gun is slick with sweat. Because your rifle was fired, I say. I can smell the gunpowder from here, and there's no elk, and there's no John. So what the fuck did you do? Darren looks past me, to the couch. His mouth falls open and his eyes widen. I know it's probably a trick, but I hear the creak of couch springs and turn my head to look. Laura is standing up, her eyes like what those flowers on the video looked like. Oil, like colors moving in and out of each other. Her face is blank and it's eerie how much she looks like someone pretending to be Laura. She looks at the plastic wrap on her arm and pulls it off, starts walking toward the door. Suddenly, the cabin starts shaking, and there's a roar outside like a storm, loud like a plane taken off. It's a throbbing sound that vibrates deep in my guts. Then a bright yellow light blasts through the windows, around the edges of door. It's blinding, and when I close my eyes, I still see it, still feel its heat. I open my eyes and hold up a hand to shield them. Lara is almost close enough to touch. There's movement from the floor, and I turn to see Darren stretched out, reaching for the rifle. I know what happens next if he gets it, and I know what I should do, but my mind can't make sense of everything happening all at once. He killed John. He killed John. He killed John. I hold the gun in both hands now. Darren sees me and scrambles faster. His fingers touch the rifle. Pull it closer. I take aim and pull the trigger on the Glock. 
The sound of the shot is lost and the roar coming from outside, but the damage is clear. Darren's head snaps back like it's on a hinge. Blood sprays against the wall behind him and a red mist hangs in the air for a second. I turn and point the gun at Lara because I don't know what else to do. Those eyes look at me and I feel them in me, in my thoughts, searching through everything I'm thinking. I can't speak. I can't move. Lara raises one arm and gently pushes down my gun. It's the arm that was hurt, but it's not hurt anymore. All those cuts are gone, and the flesh underneath has changed. It's smooth and gray and reminds me of shark skin. She keeps walking. The door is a black rectangle surrounded by bright yellow lines. She opens it, and the light comes rushing in. Lara goes outside, into the light. I squint and see something hanging in the sky, a round metal shape that's pulsing, reflecting the trees, the snow, the moon. Out past the truck, in the trees, a figure stands below the moon. I say, John? And I don't hear my voice. I just feel it. But the figure is too tall, too thin to be John. Lara walks toward this thing, and they meet, and there's a flash, and they're gone. I stand there in the doorway, and the light coming from the moon changes color, becomes orange, and when it does, that bird goes frantic, beaten like it wants out of my chest. I scream because my blood feels like it's boiling and rushing all through my body, setting everything on fire. My knees hit the floor, and I scream harder at the snap in my bad knee. I look at my hands, and the skin is turning bright and splitting open. Raw flesh is underneath, and the blood that comes out dries and turns hard. The path of snow in the orange light has melted, and flowers are blooming up from the dark soil, flowers with thorns as red as my skin, and I'm burning up inside. The light shuts off, and there's a crack in the sky, and the moon is gone. I fall to my face in the open doorway, half in, half out. It stopped snowing. The sky is clear and glowing purple just above the trees. Something in me bursts down in my belly, and a warm, liquid feeling moves down my legs. I start screaming again, but that makes the pain worse, and all I can see is that burned path of ground, those flowers shivering in the breeze. Memories flow like a videotape on rewind. People and places going backwards, and they're see-through and growing younger, and I'm back in my mother's arms, and Dad is rewound too, and his skin isn't yellow anymore, and there's John next to me, and we're as we'll always be in some version of the world that I just can't reach anymore. Black moves in from the edges of my vision, closing in on the light like the curtains over the window in the bedroom John and I used to share as kids. The curtains over the window where they first came for him. And under that window is where all the strange flowers grew. John always said they'd be back, but I never believed him. But they came back, and now he's gone. And I am gone. That was Tyler Jones's 
Who Built the Moon? is read by Rish Outfield. Rish Outfield is a writer, voice actor, and podcaster. He is the co-host of the Doonstief Audio Fiction Magazine and his own show, The Rish Outcast. He likes horror, Star Wars, and girls with glasses. And there is no job he cannot be fired from. At least not yet. Thank you, Rish. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we tear at your guts with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 